We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock, our mighty fortress, and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the one. He's it. He's the one. He's the one who God sent as his son into the world to do the work of redemption. Jesus is the one. You don't need to look for another. You don't need to hang out and hope and pray that in some way, maybe in some weird sense of timing that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. And he's the one because he passed the test. He is the one who accomplished God's redemptive mission to the world. To, to, to bring humanity and God together like this. That was the work of Jesus. He's the one. The only one. The Son of God. The anointed one. The Messiah. And Matthew's gospel. The first four chapters. Wants to show us that in all of this history. There's only one. And it's Jesus. The only one born of Mary. The only one raised by Joseph. The only one who could do what he did. Is Jesus. So all of the pieces come together. From his baptism, he's led out into the desert. And, and once in the desert, that slippery snake, Satan, slithers into the sea. And Jesus is going to be tested. Tested is a better word than tempted. He's going to be tested and refined. Is he the one? And if he is, then, then let's know, let's figure it out. And as we start here on Ash Wednesday and work our way into here by Easter to the cross, we're reminded that it narrows down to the one, Jesus. Jesus, he's the one. He's the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world, the savior of your soul. He's and so if you follow along a little bit in Matthew chapter 4, if you open your, your, your bulletin and just kind of see, Satan begins with those marvelous questions. He, he gets after Jesus as any good tester. He's going to ask good questions as he did with Eve in the garden in that marvelous text that Heather read for us this morning. He, he came to Eve and he said, did God really say, come on, did God really say that? I've heard that in my mind's eye. Come on. God really say that? You shouldn't say that, Tim. Really? Come on. You're 53 years old. You can say what you want. You can do what you need to do. God really tell you to keep a lid on your mouth? And yeah. And so Satan begins the volley and the test with, if you are the son of if you are really the one, then let's figure this out. If you are the one, then show it to me. How about if, like any preacher, you provide a lot of attractive things to your hearers? How about if you do some bread for yourself? Lord knows you're hungry, Jesus. It's been 40 days and 40 nights since you've eaten. How about if we bring this down, you get some bread, we have some, we do a little Wonder Right bread for all your people, a chicken in every pot. You will have a crowd, Jesus, like you've never seen. And you will have made a mess of yourself and your integrity, Jesus. Just turn these stones into bread. Bribe your hearers. Bribe the people. Pay me off. It'll all be great. 
Jesus says, wait a minute, man does not live on bread alone, but by on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, so leave me alone. And Satan comes back and says, well, if you are the son of God, then do something great. Do something big. Get after it. Moses had a cloud and fire and a snake and ten signs. What have you done, Jesus? You got nothing. Throw yourself off the temple. The angels will catch you. The Bible even says he won't let you strike your foot. They're going to bury you up. So here's a test for you. Throw yourself off. Let your angels catch you. And the people will think the show is great. Every preacher wants the people to think he's great and powerful. Smoke machines and lights and all that stuff. Angels hanging from the ceiling. Come on, Jesus. Do something sensational. Jesus said, it's not right to tempt the Lord your God. Well, if you really are the son of God, then bow down and worship me. Just for a moment, compromise everything you're all about. Come on, Jesus, we know that men have compartments for everything. Compromise in this compartment and everything will work out in this compartment and it'll all be fine. Trust me on this, Jesus, trust me. Right, compromise yourself. Sell your integrity, Jesus. Just for a moment, it'll be okay. No one will see, it'll all be fine. Jesus says, that's not going to happen away from me, Satan. He passed the test. He passed the test. They think he passed the test. How significant it was for Jesus to pass the test. He had to pass the test. And not with an A or a B or a C, not with a 96 or a 95, or with a 61 to get a D plus. Jesus needed to pass the test and be perfect because that's what was required to be the redeemer was perfection. Ever been tested? Duh. <laughs> Ever been tested? I don't like being tested. I never liked being tested in school. It wasn't, I mean, I could play the game. I was good at that, but never particularly adept at taking tests and being a genius. I went to school for social hour and recess and lunch and all that stuff. That was kind of a part of my thing. And school and lessons just kind of, you know, that was kind of a necessary evil for having to go to school. But, but I think these, these tests that Jesus went through are kind of, I think we go through something similar. And I think we go through it all the time. How about the bride piece, right? How many of our relationships are transactional? You do for me and I do for you. Quid pro quo. I brought you over for a ham sandwich. You bring me to Hollingsheads for a ham salad sandwich on squaw bread. I brought you to Hollingsheads. Now you bring me to Zove's. I brought you to Zove's. Now you take me to Splashes. And every time it ramps up a little nicer thing. And you owe me because I did for you. And I only bring that into food because that's my relative weakness and temptation as well. But think of that a bit. We love transactional relationships. And sometimes we want that kind of a quid pro quo with God. God calls us in an unconditional manner in Jesus Christ. And we say, wait a minute, let's just test this out. If I do for you, Lord, when it's hard for me, what will you do for me? And there is that sly, slippery voice of the serpent saying, is God really the one? Is Christ really the guy? Or maybe the piece of sensationalism. Come on, God, do something big. My son has cancer, take it away. My daughter's super sick, take it away. Find a way to work this out so that everything is kind of sensational. 
that I have a better feeling, a better sense, a better buzz, that there's something great that maybe I can see that will confirm everything I believe and what it's all about. Help me with that, Lord. Help me figure it out. Wow. What a painful peace that can be. For what would it take for God to do something so sensational that doubt would be gone from your soul or mine? What would it take for us to believe in Jesus 100%, to have a 100% lifestyle that's aligned with the way of the Lord Jesus? What would that look like? Or maybe that issue of compromise. Live in this compartment and just compromise in this thing in your work and your integrity. Just, just let that go. Be a little dishonest here. No one's going to know down here how that works. It's not going to give back to St. John's that you're corrupt until they have to do your funeral. No one will know. No one will have it figured out. It's just a little private pop quiz between us guys. And this is what guys do anyway. They talk this way. They handle this way. So just compromise yourself and see how that goes. Those words always and every and never and words like that indict us on the compromises that we make day by day, bit by bit. I know that's true for me on the little things of life. A lady offered me a piece of chocolate cake last night as I walked through Celebrate Recovery. She said, well, you started on the right side of the buffet. This is where all the sweets are. <laughs> and she was so gracious. She said, I, I said, this is my thing. I said, this is like having drugs out for a drug addict. I said, this is my thing. I start to shake when I see something like this. She said, really? Yeah. Hurts habits and hang up. That's my ha hurt habit and hang up. Duh, right? So she smiled and she said, why don't you start on the other end, Pastor? There's salads down there. It'll all be good. <laughs> She's sweet. What about those tests? Some are simple, like a piece of chocolate cake. And some are really painful, like we'll go have lunch and no one will see us when we check into the hotel and no one will care. We'll just get away with this ourselves. Sometimes the testing is painful. And did you ever wonder how God grades our tests? He doesn't grade on a curve, that's for sure. Because then all the, you know, we'd, we'd seat you according to that curve. We'd have the best people sitting here and then the crazy people sitting up back in the balcony. That's <laughs> back where, yeah. I was loved when they graded on the curve. I was right there at a strong B every time. A little better than some, not as good as others, but definitely above average, you know. He doesn't really grade on a percentage and say, well, if you're 90%, that's good, and 80%, not so good, and 30%, yeah, you stink, and it's not really like that. It's not really pass-fail. How does God grade, and what does that look like? You talk so much about testing, there's got to be a way to measure it. Maybe this is the measurement. Who passed the test? Who passed the test? Jesus, the one. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Redeemer. Jesus passed the test here in Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11. He passed the test. And in passing the test, he's given the grade to us. He is the one. He is the Messiah. His grade of perfect is our grade of righteous. 
And because he stands before God perfect, we stand before God perfect. He has delivered that grade of passing of perfect to us. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, God's chosen. So when he is tested and he passes, he brings his people through in the same way. And so our times of falling down, he covers up. His grade goes on us. Our times of struggle, His grade goes on us. Our times of pain and brokenness, His grade, His healing goes on us. And we are made whole in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That we didn't pass the test, but Christ did. And that He gives us the grade for that. And makes us His people. Sons and daughters of the Most High. I was always good for two A's, two B's, and a C. Every time in college. Two A's, two B's, and a C. Every time. Didn't matter. Didn't matter if I took crazy, crazy language class with two A's, two B's, and a C. 3.1 or 2.9, depending on how many things it worked out. And it's reflected in my transcript, which I'd like to... Oh, wait a minute. I'm not doing that. But... Uh, <laughs> But we would always say to the teacher, can we work together on this? Remember that? And you never wanted someone who was dumber than you to work with you, right? You always wanted to have the smart guy work with you, right? I mean, you'd be crazy not to have the smart guy work with you. So we'll take all the smart guys in our group, and the B student all of a sudden gets an A. And the C student gets a B, and the A student does all the work. Yeah. Can we work together on this? And the teachers, in my generation, teachers are like, well, okay, if you have to, I guess we will, right? Now everything's collaborative with education. That's just a good thing. What about when we're tested in our lives? Can we work together? Can we work in groups? Darn right we can. That's body of Christ stuff. We, we are called into a group called the church to work together, live in community, test and go, go and test and some days when I'm being tested, you're there for me. And I love those days. The lady looks at me and smiles with the chocolate cake and says, yeah, down there's the kale salad. That's body of Christ stuff. When you're down and I'm up and I got my arm around you, that's body of Christ stuff. When your kids are going through it, and you're struggling and you put your arms around me and you say, I love you. And my heart goes out to you. And I know it's hard being an eighth grader. And I know it's difficult. But I'm here for you. And I love you. And you belong to me. That's body of Christ stuff. That's working together in times of testing. That's making the whole community stronger by making stronger individuals. That's what the church is all about. Not having all the right answers all the time. But walking together in Christ and working together. Can we work together on this, Pastor? We better work together on this. The best way that people come out of painful tests and brokenness is in community. A community of grace and mercy, of love and kindness. And that's what the church is called to be and do. There's nothing like going into a test knowing the answers. If you went to college like I did, I could get away on the test just listening to the lectures and then answering the questions. And that was good for a B almost every time. That and a good paper, you could get a B. But you had to read the books to get an A. I hated reading the books. But there were those classes that were excellent. I remember a class at Cal State Fullerton, History 110B. And our professor engaged us in the conversation. 
and we read and read and read and read. If anyone went to Cal State school in the 80s, you know that big history book that we read. Read the back half of it, not the front half. Got an A on like the Reformation forward, got a C on from Adam to the Reformation, but that's... Jesus answers Satan's test not with a pat answer, but he comes from the scripture. And the scriptures are our book, our study guide. They do not only inform the manner in which we live, they transform the spirit and the heart. It's not only about the facts and figures, but it's about the strength of God's love that is communicated through those words. We get to read about Elijah and Moses and these fancy guys who had tough days. And we say, man, when they were tested, sometimes they fell and sometimes they stood up. But all the time they were the people of God. And we read those words of forgiveness today for Adam and Eve. We hear that word of justification today. And all of a sudden something sits in our brain and it works its way down to our heart. And we go out of church a little bit more jacked up and ready to take on the tests of this week. Study the scriptures and know them. There's no downside to that. At the least, you'll become more literate and more understanding of Western civilization. At the best, you'll be able to resist the devil in his schemes and tests. And finally, get older. Get older. Get older. We love you guys. You're young. You sang just beautifully today. But how many of you have been through the tests of an eighth grader? Yeah, me too. Life gets a lot better the older you get. See, the stuff that drove you nuts as an eighth grader, now you smile, and it's cool. So you can lead your kids and grandkids through it. The stuff that got through you in your 20s, you, you, you look at a 20-year-old and you say, yeah, I went through that. We have a gentleman in our congregation who's 93. He can run that through 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You say, yeah, these young 76-year-old people, they get so Get older, because the older you get in Christ, the more you walk with him, the more resilient you become. That's why a church like ours is so powerful. We got young people all throughout our community. We had a whole fistful of them in our school. We got a fistful of them sitting here, these beautiful girls singing the beautiful praises this morning. Get older, and as you get older, don't quit. Keep walking with Jesus through gray hair, and through the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the A's and F's of life, don't ever quit. Keep moving forward and moving strong in Jesus. The hardest class I ever took, one of the hardest classes I ever took was Hebrew. Hebrew stinks. <laughs> Hebrew's hard. Hebrew doesn't look like German or Greek or whatever. Hebrew's hard. It squiggles and you go from right to left. And it's all perfect. It was like a language put together by a math person. I mean, it's all just, it, it never, it's not like Greek well, you know, you can just picture the Greek people, like, oh, we'll just make a change to our language. The Hebrews are like, this language will not change. I mean, it's like, ah, everything always is consistent all the time. And you always have to take Hebrew if you're going to be a pre-seminary pastor guy, so... I signed up for Dr. Trapp's Hebrew class. Dr. Trapp. We felt he was taught Hebrew by Moses himself. Dr. Trapp. All the faith, Gimbal, hey, pops I worked at Hebrew. I was not a lazy student in that class. I worked hard in Hebrew, carried around little cards, and you'd flip the cards all the time, you know, and you do verb forms and noun declensions and all that stuff. And, 
And I got through the end of the first semester and Dr. Trapp called me in. He said, Tim, you need to come and talk to me. And I'm like, oh. I wasn't stupid. I mean, kind of in Hebrew, but not in general. So <laughs> I knew, I knew what he wanted. He wanted to talk about my grade. And he pulled the grade out and he said, Tim, you're doing okay, but it's really hard for you, huh? I said, yeah, this is awful. I said, I'd I'd rather die. Can I be a PE major? What can I do? I just got to get out of here. You're killing me. And all my friends, my two roommates were brilliant. We had a quiz every day. Scott and Mark, five out of five, five out of five. Clink, how'd you do? Two out of five, one out of five, two out of five. And then towards the end of the semester, three out of five, three out of five, three out of five. Test F, test F, test D. Oh. Dr. Trapp pulls me aside. He says, Tim, here's your grade. And he had all the quizzes and all the stuff. He said, here's your grade. He said, you deserve a D. You've earned a D. I thought, yeah, I earned, I earned a D. I thought, no one has ever worked so hard for a D in their whole life. And, and, and you'll appreciate this if you're my age. It wasn't like now where if you don't give a kid an A, they die, right? Oh, my God, I can't get it. A C's gonna die and be an idiot. No, it wasn't like that. And I earned that D. It was mine. I owned it. <laughs> Dr. Trapp kept moving his thing over. And he said, I'm gonna give you a C. Two A's, two B's, and a C. Sweet. <laughs> I didn't earn that C, but he gave it to me. And that was the difference between my parents being happy and my parents being upset. It was the difference between being beat up, having done a lot of work, and, 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 and having mercy in my soul lifted. It was a point of mercy from Dr. Trapp to old Tim Klinkenberg. And 35 years later, I don't forget that C because of the mercy and the grace that that professor showed me. I think about that and relate to that because in our lives, the Lord says, look at this. Here's what you've earned. Here's where you belong. But you stand with me. And you belong with me. And I'm not just going to give you an A+. I'm going to give you everything. My love and my grace and my kindness is all yours every day. You're with me, and that's where we leave it. I love that idea that the grade of the Lord is on your heart right now, and that you belong to him in each and every test. No test is unique to anybody else, but we are called of God in Christ, and he pulls us through as we are his children. Amen. Amen.